It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Talk Radio. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Delighted to welcome my next guest to the show, uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Well, you had your big speech at party conference, the virtual Tory conference yesterday. Uh, Today is the turn of the Prime Minister. In a couple of hours' time, he's going to be speaking and he's going to announce uh, that he wants uh, the UK to be the Saudi Arabia of wind and uh, focus on creating, he says, maybe hundreds of thousands, millions, he says, of jobs as part of the Green Industrial Revolution. Um, Is this really the way that we are going to repair our, uh, our books and get the economy back? back on track? Well, I think it's absolutely right that we're talking about jobs. And that is obviously the the key economic topic that we should all be focused on. And the Prime Minister is right. The Green Industrial Revolution is something that he both feels passionately about and is something that will be very good for our country. We, we Offshore wind is a great example of a technology that we happen to be very good at internationally. This is something that is one of our country's strengths. And he wants to double down on that and ensure that we not only are using more offshore wind, which is great because it is now a cheap and green form of power, but in doing so, create lots of new jobs and capture more of the value in making all the turbines and exporting the technology as well. So, and if you look at where that's happening, it's in parts of our, all around the country where we'd like to see more growth as part of our levelling up agenda as well. So it ticks lots of boxes and I think it's it's an incredibly exciting announcement. Okay, so we currently have 10 gigawatts of uh, offshore wind power capacity. He wants to raise that to 40 gigawatts. Uh, Experts in the industry saying that we'd need a new wind turbine built every single day for a decade and a 50 billion, not million, 50 billion pound investment. Presumably you've run the numbers on that. Yes, that's right. And this is, you know, this has been uh, put together in conjunction with the industry. There's an existing sector deal. The Secretary of State for Energy has been involved. Uh, the Prime Minister is deeply involved. I think we all have a very ambitious view of what's possible here. As I said, this is an industry we are we're already globally leading in. We want to double down on that ambition, uh, grow the use of wind power in our energy mix. It's cheap, it's green, 
and as we can make more and more of this stuff at home that's more jobs uh, here and we can start exporting it and new technology like floating offshore wind which is also part of the announcement around the world um, and you put all of that together and that's exactly what we should be doing it's not wrong to be ambitious and no. I'm glad that we're doing that but just checking that when the wind doesn't blow we're going to have the backup nuclear power stations and other other power uh, mechanisms to actually make sure that you know we can still put the electricity on yeah, actually, funnily enough, the Prime Minister and I were just visiting a company yesterday in the clean tech space, Oct Octopus Energy, and they do a fantastic job with a new technology platform of allowing their customers to change when and how they use, uh, when, when how we all use energy. For example, if you're charging a new electric car, and actually it's better to do that not at the peak time that everyone's using energy. We can do that at different times, which is both cheaper and enables us to spread our demands across the day so we get a lot more out of the energy we have. You know, that's going to be an important part of our future as well. And it's exciting that British technology companies like Octopus are leading the charge. OK, well, we know an important part of our future is going to be paying off a lot of the generosity that was shown by, you know, you in your name. But let's face it, it was the British people that came together, yep. that furlough scheme to help everybody wrapping our arms around the nation. Uh, some people missed out. We know there are a few million people who missed out, but but vast numbers of people uh, didn't under that furlough scheme. You warned yesterday in your speech of uh, the sacred duty uh, to balance the books for future generations. And you said otherwise, what is the point of us, meaning the Conservative Party, and saying those hard choices are everywhere? Um, what will those hard choices be? What sort of tax rises and or public service cuts will we actually have to see to uh, uh, make those hard choices? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't comment on fiscal uh, future fiscal policy, Julius, you should forgive me for that. But more broadly, what I'd say is the following. It's important that this year we acted in the way we did, which meant borrowing a lot to try and protect as many jobs as possible and protect as much of our economy as possible so that it could emerge on the other side of this. That's in our long run interest. But I think the other the other point, which is, I think, entirely most people would reasonably agree, we can't carry on borrowing at these record levels forever and a day. So once we get through this, we'll need to look at that and make sure that we have strong public finances. You know, that's that's important for the simple reason. I was only able to act in the way that I did with the scale and pace that we did because I inherited an incredibly strong economy and strong public finances after 10 years of conservative economic management. And it's because of all those decisions that were made uh, that I was able to do what I did. And you know what? Difficult things like this crises come along every so often. And the government of the day needs to be in a position to respond like this. And that's why you've, you've got to have strong public finances once you get through them. And is this why you, we understand from briefings uh, in, in Cabinet have been arguing for us not to have a second lockdown because actually the economic damage will be so great from a second lockdown that actually it's a it's not it's not a viable option. We understand that you and other senior members of the cabinet have been trying to sort of push the government to be more perhaps opening up the economy rather than shutting it down. Your eat out to help out campaign, encouraging people back in the workplace. Um, where does that end, though? Because we are somehow in a, in a sort of a strange sort of middle ground at the moment where we're possibly teetering on a second full lockdown. We've got a lot of local measures, 25 percent of the country living under very big restrictions, possibility of many more uh, following as well. And at the same time, uh, we're seeing you know, more and more jobs being lost. The end of the furlough yeah. scheme. How, how do you how do you balance all that up? And, and, why, and how hard are you fighting to keep the economy open? But, you know, Julian, right, it's it's really difficult to balance all those things. I think the important point and the point I've made and that I think is widely shared is that 
when we do make these decisions that we consider all of these things in the round and that's what we have to do so we have to think about what are the impact on our children's education what are the impact on people catching coronavirus what are the impact on on non-health um, issues of people missing appointments or delayed operations and then what are all the economic impacts people's jobs financial security which also ultimately has an impact on their long-term health uh, conditions and indeed our ability to fund uh, public services and the NHS. So you know, all of those things have got to be in the mix. This is a complicated problem and there are lots of different impacts and we need to consider them all in the round and then make what are very difficult judgments. Um, we, we had the Eat Out to Help Out campaign during the summer and that definitely got a lot of people who, it's not just mm-hmm. about spending the money, a lot of people who are perhaps very fearful of leaving their homes out and about, yeah. people encouraged to, to go back to work in the office and, and now it's all gone back again and now some people are even blaming you for the Eat Out to Help Out campaign in terms of spreading the virus, although I'm not sure there's really any evidence for that whatsoever. Um, I I walked through the City of London yesterday and I've got to be honest, I could have cried uh, at the scenes I saw. Empty offices, boarded up shops, signs in the window saying, sorry, we closed down until further notice. Empty streets, empty pavements. Um, It's a completely dead city. This used to be the thriving heart of our, not just our capital city, but economically wise, the thriving heart of our country. Um, is there any chance that we are actually uh, going to get that back? You're, you're right. It is very sad. And I, I do, like you, walk through some of those same streets or drive through. And, um, you know, it's sad to see what was one of the world's most thriving cities. Does it make uh, you want to cry to as well? Yeah, and no, it is very sad. Uh, I, I completely agree with you when you consider what, you know, what it used to be like and it, to see it now it, it kind of shadow its former self. It, it, it's really, it is really sad. And it's obviously having a real impact on people's jobs that they're losing as a result of this. Um, I, 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 look, I am confident that we will get through this. Uh, we will get through this uh, pandemic. And once we emerge on the other side, we can we can grow strongly and get that vibrancy back into our cities and town okay. centres. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be difficult right now. I can't pretend otherwise. Uh, right now, given the measures that we've had to put in place to suppress the spread of the virus, that is having all these impacts. And, and you're right to highlight them. But once we get through this, we, we need to look at what can we do to make sure our cities remain vibrant places. I think it's a good thing if people are in uh, offices over time, especially for young people joining new teams, new workforces, for them to understand the culture of the organisations they're joining. That's much better happening in person. So I look forward to the day that we can get back to that um, and see our cities spring back to life with people at the theatres, people going out for a meal, uh, people going out for a drink after work. Uh, you know, those are all things that we should strive for. Mm-hmm. You know, now, sadly, you know, we can't do all those well, things. Again, is, there the any, way. is there any theatres left or, or if the cinema's closing and the like? Mm-hmm. Um, you used the phrase, once we get through this a couple of times, then. What does that mean? Because everything in the government's policy when we first went into lockdown back in March was about, um, we were, you know, we were trying to sort of, you know, flatten the curve so we didn't overwhelm the yeah. NHS, protect the NHS, build up capacity. We did that. We did that, I think, magnificently. I, I've, you know, I, I was I was watching, you know, from my, my, my spare bedroom doing my show and was actually felt really proud of our, our country's efforts on that front. We were all out there clapping for the NHS. But we've yes. done that. Um, we are not seeing an exponential growth in, in terms of uh, either infection rates or, or in terms of hospitalizations or deaths. Um, and yet our, now the policy seems to be predicated on this phrase, defeating the virus, waiting till a vaccine comes. Um, can we keep on being in local lockdowns or, or 10 p.m. curfews and rule of six indefinitely unless or until we get a vaccine for this? What does when we get through this mean? When will we know we're through this? 
Well, look, the, the advice we have from our scientists is we'll be in a much stronger position in spring or the, in six months' time. That's why the Prime Minister talked about six months and difficult winter. You know, partly that's a function of the seasonality of respiratory illnesses, which uh, tend to ramp up over the uh, winter period. So we need to get through that. And I think the good news is our testing uh, capacity is increasing all the time, which obviously helps. It's up 40 or 50 percent since the summer, uh, up to 250,000 a day. We're going up to half a million capacity by the end of October. You know, more testing helps us. Uh, and, and as you're right, with local lockdowns, that is a more targeted and nuanced approach. And that can, you know, we can be even more targeted over time. Um, and that it, you know, stops us having to do things to the whole country, which, as we, you know, are, are pretty uh, drastic actions. Yeah. So, yeah. Everything, when everything's been predicated on this £12 billion uh, test, track and trace system, the world beating system that um, uh, we left uh, 16,000 people whose test results weren't entered on the computer, 50,000 people needing to be contacted, we'd not even contacted all of them yet, who may have become in contact. Um, this was all based on the fact that there was an Excel spreadsheet that was about you know, 13 years old was being used. Um, you know, you, you're a money man, you're a numbers man. Would you use an Excel spreadsheet for this? Well, there are a lot of very more talented uh, data scientists than I involved. Uh, apparently uh, not, health, with all due respect, no. Chancellor. Apparently <laughs> not. Look, look, of, co- of, of course, this 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 should not have happened, and the health secretary was clear about that yesterday in Parliament. And we've launched an investigation. I think the 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 thing now to focus on is what are we doing to fix the situation? And what I would tell your uh, listeners is, over the weekend, several thousand man hours were deployed to start contacting. Or the contacts of all these people uh, that we as of I think nine o'clock yesterday morning over half had been contacted for a second time obviously that number will be higher now I don't have the most uh, up-to-date figure in front of me so that that's important and I think the other things that people should feel reassured by is uh, anyone who, who was positively tested they were contacted as normal in the normal time frame and importantly schools care homes and hospitals places where we really want to make sure that we are controlling any uh, infection outbreaks, they are on a slightly different system, so they're not reliant on this, so they aren't impacted by this. And indeed, the chief medical officer has confirmed that in terms of our analysis of the situation, that none of these numbers change any of that. So uh, hopefully that provides some reassurance. But you're right, this should not have happened. Uh, and we're working on fixing okay. it as quickly as um, possible. Personally, I think a lot of us think heads should roll, but I, I know I've only got you for an- another minute or so. Final question. I'm not going to ask you, do you want to be Prime Minister? Every politician wants to be Prime Minister. We're not going to go there. I want to ask you, though, given your popularity ratings at the moment, Chancellor, sky high compared to the Prime Minister, when you meet with him, isn't it a bit awkward having the elephant in the room that you are far, 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 far more popular than the man who's your boss? I say a couple of things. I, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't get carried away with very short-term things, and what goes up comes down. That's inevitable in life. So, but when I, the tax I, rises come, you know, <laughs> or when I have to, I, I have to make difficult decisions all the time, right? So that you know, that that is, I think, an ine- inevitability. So I wouldn't be too caught up on that. And I think that my, the prime minister. Uh, did me the enormous honour of placing his trust in me to do this job six months ago, and I'm I'm relatively you know new new to politics in that sense, and he trusted me to do this job at an important time. I'm very grateful to him, uh, not just for that, but also for his friendship. We've had to go through a lot together over the past six months. I've nothing but admiration for the job he's doing, and I see up close uh, the difficulties of making these awful, awful decisions, trying to balance all these things. I I, I certainly don't envy him that. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And I'm very grateful that the country can benefit from his kindness.
calm leadership and that he can convey to all of us a sense of optimism that we will get through this and we'll get through this together and emerge stronger on the other side. You know, I, for one, take a lot of comfort from his leadership at this time. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Donald Trump has returned to the White House. This is what he had to say from the White House balcony to the American people. I just left Walter Reed Medical Center, and it's really something very special. The doctors, the nurses, the first responders, and I learned so much about coronavirus. And one thing that's for certain, don't let it dominate you. Don't be afraid of it. You're going to beat it. We have the best medical equipment, we have the best medicines, all developed recently, and you're going to beat it. I went, I didn't feel so good. And two days ago, I could have left two days ago, two days ago I felt great, like better than I have in a long time. I said just recently, better than 20 years ago. Don't let it dominate. Don't let it take over your lives. Don't let that happen. We have the greatest country in the world. We're going back. We're going back to work. We're going to be out front. As your leader, I had to do that. I knew there's danger to it, but I had to do it. I stood out front. I led. Nobody that's a leader would not do what I did. And I know there's a risk, there's a danger, but that's okay. And now I'm better, and maybe I'm immune. I don't know. But don't let it dominate your lives. Get out there. Be careful. We have the best medicines in the world, and it all happened very shortly, and they're all getting approved. And the vaccines are coming momentarily. Thank you very much. And Walter Reed, what a group of people. Thank you very much. Yeah, so that was a uh, president after three nights in hospital. Let's talk to our next guest about all of that. Lord Derek was. So, Kim Derek, he was our man in Washington, Britain's ambassador to the United States for four years until the end of last year. He was forced to resign last summer, though, after the leak of diplomatic cables in which he was rather critical of the Trump administration. Delighted to welcome Lord Derek to the show. Good morning to you. 
Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Um, there's no doubt at all uh, Donald Trump is putting the Trumpian spin on his uh, his uh, clash with the coronavirus, very much viewing this, well, trying to make this a message about how, you know, he's recovered very quickly, he's very strong, that he took the risk, to, he got the virus because he was out there battling for the American people, showing leadership, but he has triumphed. Um, how much of this is spin and how much of this is trying to... Uh, uh, actually uh, makes the best of a really bad deal just weeks away from an election which he looks on the polls to lose. As you say, Julia, on the face of it, it looks like a remarkably quick recovery. Uh, on the other hand, only his doctors really know how complete the recovery is. And I saw something from, from a medical source this morning saying that uh, he wasn't entirely out of the wood yet. I think it's primarily about how much better it looks to be recuperating from the White House than to be in hospital. And uh, as you see uh, from what he's just uh, from what he said when he when he left, I mean, he needs to be the alpha male in any room. It's a very different message from the sort of one uh, from what Boris Johnson was saying when when he came out of hospital. Uh, it's very Donald Trump just is. But uh, but whether he is completely recovered yet and how long before we actually see him back on the campaign trail or even in the in the debate chamber let's see well, indeed, I mean, there, there seem to be lots of different conflicting uh, stories coming out of uh, Washington about whether he actually is not as sick uh, as as it's been said. And he was just sort of playing this for sympathy and then recovery and, and then going for that, uh, uh, that uh, dynamic or, or whether he's actually much more poorly. Kelly Ann Conway, one of his closest advisors, uh, she herself, one of the 12 or more senior White House staff who's tested positive for coronavirus uh, since uh, Donald Trump has, um, sh- her daughter, not a fan of Donald Trump is known, only a 15 year old, but she has been putting on social media that her mother has told her that the president is not doing very well and had to work to stabilise him. Now, I don't know whether we trust a 15 year old teenager more than we do official White House staff, but I'm willing to give her as much credence as I do White House staff. How much can we trust what the official spokespeople are telling us? It's not unusual for, um, for the offices of any leaders kind of downplay how ill uh, leaders are. And uh, you'll remember that it all came, came to all of us as a surprise when Boris Johnson went from recuperating from the virus to suddenly being in hospital and then intensive care. So there's nothing unique uh, about the White House on this. I mean, I think that the, the most telling comment came from Mark Meadows, who's the chief of staff, who said, I think on Saturday, that, uh, that there were some worrying signs from the president that they had these two, uh, these two moments where, where uh, they needed to give him oxygen. So I suspect it has been, it has been quite bad, which makes, in a way, his, uh, his, uh, his uh, return to the White House from hospital all the more surprising. On the other hand, you have to remember, he has a very extensive medical team yeah. in the White House too. So it's not like he's going away from his doctors completely. 
um, uh, he'll be uh, he'll be monitored very closely and looked after there as well. Yes, rather different from the vast majority of the American people, as uh, Joe Biden, uh, the Democrat candidate, pointed out. In terms of how this will affect the outcome of the election, the the sort of received opinion in Washington and across the United States is that's it. This exposes Donald Trump for you know his recklessness, not wearing a mask, not socially distancing, the super spreader event at the White House when he uh, was announcing his uh, nominee for the Supreme Court, uh, and that you know. He He's exposed the fact that look, he, you know, he is responsible for these two hundred and ten thousand uh, U.S. dead and and all the damage to the economy and uh, and and that this puts coronavirus center stage in the election and that can't be good for him. But there are there are many who point out that actually the conventional wisdom doesn't always get it right when it comes to Donald Trump. He has a habit of defying this. If he can shore up his base and 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 if he can convince uh, enough people and you know there's the, the states, the swing states, is it possible that this could actually work? for him rather than against him on the election day? Yeah, this is all guesswork, of course. We don't know. But my own view is that that most people have already decided how they're going to vote on the 3rd of November. Most Americans have. And the 40% or so that has been his extraordinarily solid and stable base through his presidency uh, are going to continue to vote for him, uh, notwithstanding uh, uh, the events of you know, the last uh, last 72 hours. The 60% or so who are not fans of him, I think, uh, uh, won't have their views changed by this remarkable recovery. I'm not sure there are very many undecided out there. All that said, I think what he said as he left the hospital and these uh, comments about don't fear the virus and, uh, you know, um, uh, don't run away from it, all that, all yeah. that stuff, that's fine. People will say, uh, you know, if they if they haven't had it, those who are relatives of the two hundred and ten thousand Americans who have who have died might say to themselves, "Well, it's all very well for you, but you've had this new cocktail of drugs and the best possible treatment, and it's a bit different for us." So I'm not sure that those comments on his departure are going to help his are going to help his okay. case, and of course whether he can still campaign, let alone be in the debates. I mean, if he doesn't campaign, if he doesn't feel the love from those huge crowds, um, he will be uh, he will be a diminished candidate. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Criminals, including very serious offenders like violent offenders and paedophiles, have been receiving shorter jail sentences, some even avoiding prison altogether as the effect of coronavirus uh, measures continue. Obviously, prolonged uh, cell confinement 23 hours a day and visitor restrictions has been factored into judges' rulings. Let's talk to Sir Bob Neal about this. He's chair of the Justice Select Committee and a Conservative MP. Good morning to you, uh, morning, Sir Bob. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. The, the tentacles of this pandemic and the lockdown have reached so far into every crevice and look and crevice of, of our entire lives hasn't it but it also means as we're hearing now that um you know even it's even uh, helping the criminals out um up to a point i mean i've tried to look at some of the details of those cases that were reported and i'd just be a bit wary uh, because um frequently um two or three lines in a newspaper won't always encompass all the issues that arise in the sentencing but um there is no doubt that there's pressure uh, on the system, and I think we do need to tackle that. So, just with that caveat, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's not, I think, widespread that you're getting major discounts in sentences. 
particular cases can be referred to for being unduly lenient, if that's the case. Yeah. It's certainly true that there's a lot of pressure on prison staff and on the courts, and we do need to tackle that. That's certainly right. Yeah, indeed. But, of course, an awful lot of the cases simply aren't coming to court at all. Yeah. And that's one of the perhaps biggest problems, actually, is that, uh, for example, custody time limits are being extended. So people who may be acquitted are kept in, in prison longer than perhaps is, is appropriate. And also sometimes people are being granted bail when they might not otherwise have been. So what I think from our committee's point of view, we really need to major down on is getting rid of the backlog in these serious yeah. criminal cases, because that's bad for the victims, bad for everyone. Yeah, and indeed, of course, we know that, you know, obviously with care homes, uh, people not able to receive visitors large amounts of the time uh, throughout this pandemic, but also, again, in prisons as well. And again, that does have yeah. an effect on people's mental health. And uh, and again, we, the, 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 the punishment is to be locked away, not necessarily to have no contact whatsoever with your with your families. And again, it's also punishment, honestly, uh, on, on say, the children of prisoners yeah. and the like, which perhaps they wouldn't have foreseen. Let me also ask you, as you've been one of the... Uh, uh, the, the Tory MPs who's been speaking out about the issue of uh, of the lockdowns lately. Uh, we're told that there's going to be a rebellion by Tory MPs as early as today about this, the 10pm curfew, uh, questioning whether or not there is actually any science behind this. The question marks whether the Labour Party would actually vote to support uh, that measure uh, actually being uh, reinstated. Yeah. Um, where are you on that? Well, I'm going to listen to what the ministers say, but I think they've got to do a lot of explaining. Um, because you know, as a London MP in the London suburbs, I think we've chatted about this uh, before, um, I don't see the logic of this broad brush approach um, with a 10pm curfew, which is, is really hurting um, the entertainment sector, the event sector. We talk about the arts just now, I, I listened to that. It's really crippling some parts. Um, and chucking people out of the street, onto the streets in central London to ram onto a tube seems to me self-defeating. And, and at the and, same time, 10pm is... you know, in suburban Chislehurst, we've talked about, makes no sense at all. Yes, I mean, indeed, and we're, we're seeing this across the country. This is not just happening. We've seen videos of parties in, in, in Liverpool yeah. and elsewhere. And and again, we know that a lot of people, uh, frankly, those who don't get up at 4.40 like myself in the morning, are going, <laughs> oh, well, in that case, we'll just go to the local off-licence and we'll get some more booze. Yeah. And then the, the suggestion was that we should have a 9pm curfew on buying booze at the office. I mean, the restrictions continue yeah. apace. Um, when we looked at some of the restrictions that were happening in China, in Wuhan in particular, yeah. uh, early on in this pandemic, I mean, I think I think a lot of us were really, really shocked by it. But then there was an element, well, you can do that in a totalitarian yeah, society, yeah. but you couldn't do it here. Most of us, when the lockdown happened in March, went I, you know, went willingly back into our homes. It felt it was the right thing to do. There was a real strong public consensus about it. I feel that consensus very much uh, fragmenting now. Um, some people who, frankly, as far as I can tell, have barely left their homes other than go to the supermarket for the last six months. And other people like me in the office, I'm, 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 I'm you know, I'm in cabs, I'm going to restaurants. I am absolutely obeying all the laws. I am sticking to the rule of six, even though I despise and hate it. Um, I wash my hands all the time. Our office is unbelievably safe here. Wear my mask when I'm, when I'm required to and, and, and socially distance. But but there is definitely uh, there is definitely a, a clear, clear, clear chasm building up uh, in, our, in our country between those who want to get out of lockdown and those who want to go and lock down further. What, how is that going to be resolved? I think the government's got to be much more upfront with people about what is or isn't supported by the science. I don't think I've not seen any real scientific basis for this 10 p.m. curfew, for example. Um, and I think they've got to treat people like adults. Um, what I've found is in, a, in our own family and elsewhere, the people who are vulnerable have shielded. They've been sensible. Um, but we shouldn't be inflicting that, I think, upon uh, everybody else. Uh, because you know, I'm concerned, as, as you were talking about, the mental health issues, the people missing appointments for cancer checks, GP appointments, all the other things. That long term yeah. could do more damage than the, than the pandemic. Online, 
on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.